0: Way worse than that. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a husband and wife team up around Nashville called Joy and Rory. Uh, I don't know if you may have heard of them. There, but, yeah, some folks have there. But it's uh, was one of my telling stories on Clay tonight. So he's he's playing with a couple of different bands down at the Opry a while back, and uh, so their guitar player didn't show up, and so they sent work and. Could Clay has come and filled in for us, and uh, and Joy and Rory are a husband-wife team, and so Clay goes over to their to their dressing room and knocks on the door, and they say, "Oh, Clay, thanks so much, man, for for filling in." And says, uh, "Do you know our stuff?" And Clay goes, "I don't even know which one's Joy and which one's Rory." <laughs> <laughs> And that's another reason I love clay heads. <clears throat> oh, praise the Lord. Hey, well, let's jump on this thing. Um, turn in your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 48. I want to be telling a big story tonight and, uh, out of the Bible. And the Bible is a big story. It's a big story about Jesus. The Bible is One story. It's one book uh, comprised of a lot of little books, but uh, it's one story about Jesus. You know, the Bible is kind of like God's perspective on what's important in the world. And what's most important in the world is His Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, so, so this book is about that, and the way that the Bible relates to us at all is because it relates to Jesus, and we relate to Him. Okay, you sound excited about that, so I'd, I'd like to hear you say amen, so if you don't say amen, I don't think you got what I said, so I'll go back and repeat it, makes a sermon twice as long, but you've done it to yourself because you've been fair warned, amen, amen. You see, it sounds just so much better. So how many of you have been around this thing called life long enough to know it's just not fair at all? Anybody? yeah it's just it's just not fair matter of fact you know and being a true of course i am from from texas now but originally from kentucky and so i've been from kentucky a lot longer than i've been from texas uh you know and so that's that's two blessings rolled into one there uh to be from both those places and so and it, it do come along with that so if you don't learn anything just enjoy the accent you know for the next little bit um But uh, in in what we would say in Kentucky and what we would say in Texas is, I'm I'm actually going to title the message that tonight. I didn't think of it till just then. But the name of this message, if you're keeping notes, is "That Ain't Fair." And it's terrible English, but it's good theology. And so, matter of fact, this what we're going to talk about tonight is so unfair. That every time, I, every time you hear me say something that's not fair, I want all of you to say, that ain't fair. That ain't fair. You want to practice? Just one time. That ain't, fair. that ain't fair. Okay, so, y'all over there, Genesis chapter 48. We're going to break into a big story here. And look at verse 12. Then then Joseph removed them from his knees, this is his children, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim. You get this picture. And laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger. That ain't fair. fair. And he stretched out his left hand and put it on the head of Manasseh. Look at this. Crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Now here's why that ain't fair. Because there was a real significance to the blessing of the firstborn, incredible significance, because the firstborn became heir to all the father's inheritance, not just a little bit and not just a part, but he became heir to the entire thing and he inherited rule over the family. That was just custom. That's just the way it was, fair or not. And so the, the blessing that was passed on, uh, the, the, the big blessing, the initial blessing, the blessing of the father that goes to the firstborn was conveyed and bestowed through a ceremony of laying on of hands. Joseph was honoring his father Israel by, by giving him a chance to make everything right. Right. And so he brings those children and he lines the oldest one up in front of his father's right hand and he brings the younger one and lines him up in front of Israel's left hand but Israel crosses his hand and so the blessing that was supposed to go to the firstborn was going to the younger and the blessing that was supposed to go to the younger was going to the firstborn and... That ain't fair. (laughs) How many of you in here are firstborns? Yeah, as if we didn't know. (laughs) As if we didn't know those of us who are not firstborns because we can spot you a mile away. You got all the undivided attention until we came along. And we are the ones who wore your hand-me-downs and took baths in your bathwater. We're the ones who look through the old photo albums, and there's thousands and thousands of pictures of you, and there's three of us. We know you, firstborns. There's just something about you. This air. That was a God idea. And so now, Genesis 48 comes along and messes up the model. Ephraim got royally gypped. But Ephraim came from a long line of screw-ups. You could talk about Isaac. You talk about the story of, of Jacob and Esau and the stolen birthright. And then the blessing and, and all of that stuff which was totally unfair. Jacob, the deceiver, the, the supplanter. The me first guy who had to be whatever happened, he had to be first. It was just in him and he couldn't stand it. That he was not so much so that he grabbed the hill to take the place of his brother. and He spent the rest of his life trying to get ahead, trying to gain a place, trying to just get in front. Jacob, whose name would be changed to Israel, this deceiver who was always striving to get ahead because there was something in him that had to. He was driven. He was consumed with being something, with being Somebody with having things and looking for significance. One day he met Rachel. Everybody remember that story? And he so fell head over heels in love or something with this woman that he agreed, he made a contract. With what it would become his father-in-law to work seven years labor for her hand in marriage, he was stricken with this gal. Seven years he agreed to work for, her and he worked: first year, second year, third year, four, five, six, seven years. It's a long time. And he gave himself to this family and he gave himself to laboring for her hand. And then that day number one of year number eight, he shows up knocking on dad-in-law's door and says, Okay, I'm done. I've fulfilled my end of the contract. We're having a wedding. He says, you're right, you did that. We're having a wedding. And so he dresses up his daughter in all the wedding clothes and in all the veils. But the trickster got tricked. And the deceiver got deceived. And the con artist got conned. And so after all of festivities, when he went in to the honeymoon suite, expecting to find Rachel, when the veil came off, it was his sister, Leah. That ain't fair. But before you get all carried carried away with that, know that it was not Leah's fault. She was doing what her dad told her to do, what he made her do, what he instructed her to do. And, and the Bible plainly tells us that not only was Jacob upset just a little bit by that, but it says Jacob, and this is strong language, Jacob hated her. And that's not fair to her. There's nothing fair about this whole story. Are you kind of catching on to that? hated her. But he had seven children by her, so he found something he liked. And he works and lives with this woman who, who he hated for seven more years in order to get Rachel again. So imagine, ladies, living with this guy and, and, and mothering children for this guy who, who know he hates you. And the only reason he's staying there and working is so he can get this other lady. There's nothing fair about any of that. In the meantime, he has four sons with servant girls. I mean, you know, this Bible is pretty gritty if you read it. Everybody okay? Finally, another seven, he's 14 years into this thing, and he finally uh, gets Rachel. Lo and behold, he has a son. Then he has other sons, and other sons, and other sons, and other sons, and, and Rachel would die bearing the youngest son, Benjamin. And while Joseph was not, think about this, while Joseph was absolutely not, no question about it, he was not Jacob's firstborn, he was treated as if he was. So that ain't fair. See, because the Bible picks up the story about this Joseph there and tells us that Joseph, Joseph was loved more than his other brothers. They were rejected. It was a very well-known fact that, that he didn't care for them in the same way that he cared for this Joseph. So even though Joseph was not the firstborn, he was treated like he was. He was always treated special. He was daddy's boy. He was, he was the prince. He was the jewel. He was all the sun rose and set on him and the moon hung on him and he was the star of the family and he had all the pictures were of him in the family album and not only that he had this exquisite robe made for him. A robe of many colors. It was a splendid thing to behold and a sign of wealth and prosperity and this this robe, this multicolored, splendid robe was hung on to the arms of this young boy which made him stand out even more. And it's not his fault, he's a kid. He didn't do anything but be born to a mother that was loved. And so, his brothers, hated him that ain't fair he didn't help matters much because he was a bit of a dreamer and he, he had this dream one time about about him standing in the middle and all of his brothers coming and bowing down to him. And he didn't have any better sense than to share that with his brothers and tell them, hey, I had this great dream last night. You know, I was kind of hanging out there and all you guys came up and just started bowing down and worshiping me. You know, like the big deal, you had a t-shirt that said, I'm kind of a big deal. (laughs) And not only did that not set well with them, after that little incident of him relating the dream to him that they didn't receive well, they sought to kill him. Oh, that's really not fair. And so they invited him on a little outing with them one day. And they had this plot where we're going to take him out. We're going to, we've are going we had all that we can take. We've had it up to here with this Joseph guy and hearing all this stuff and being treated shabbily. And watching our mother being treated as a second class citizen and everything being poured over this kid. And we're sick to death of it. We've had it. We're, we're going to kill him. And so they took him out with them on this little feigned expedition. And they stripped his robe off of him like in a, in a dethroning and de, you know, uh, celebration that, that they were having and, and they stripped that beautiful robe off of him and they threw him into a pit simply because they couldn't muster up the guts to kill him. Nobody would come forward to do it. They all wanted to, but none of them just had enough gumption in them to actually do it. They just couldn't bring themselves to lift up their hands. So they threw him down in this pit. And he was taken then by a bunch of Midianites who sold him into the hands of a bunch of Ishmaelites for a handful of silver, and they took him away to Egypt. And now... The boys, yeah, it's not fair. And so now the other boys are going, ah, we are in trouble. We are in trouble deep. What are we going to do? He's gone. We've lost him. So they took that robe. And they killed a goat. That they found out in the wild. They killed this goat and they and they tore the robe and they and they dipped this robe and they rolled it around in this goat blood on the ground and got it all dirty and torn and and bloodied and they took it home and they presented this torn, bloodied robe to Isaac. Or to Jacob. They presented this bloodied muddied robe. He saw, what happened? Joseph's gone. A wild animal killed him. This is all that's left. And he was destroyed. He was undone. He was out of control, weeping and sobbing and grieving for days. Heart broken, dreams shattered. The star is gone. His world is gone. Everything that he had hoped of, everything that he had dreamed for this son, is just gone, like that. The brother standing there, knowing the truth. He had no way of knowing, though, that this torn, bloody robe was the only symbol of mercy that's in the whole story. Because what it really meant, even though he didn't understand it, but what he really meant, what it really meant was the boys alive. meantime, Joseph was bought as a slave by a man named Potiphar. He was kind of the director of Homeland Security in Egypt. He was over kind of the military thing there, and uh, so he ran security for uh, Pharaoh. And he had this wife who was, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, a uh, a wild card, if you will, Potiphar's wife, and, uh, you know, she... uh, Uh, wife of this great government employee Joseph would have been somewhere around the age of 17 and very rugged and very handsome and and like the prince that he was and so he comes in to this house where that uh, Potiphar's wife was totally used to getting everything she wanted if mama's not happy ain't nobody happy And so she decided that she wanted Joseph. And so she tried to lure him and trick him and deceive him into this illicit relationship with her. But there was enough residue of God left somewhere down in the recesses of Joseph that he knew to flee that, that he knew to get away from that and get himself out of that situation. So he resisted and he told her no, perhaps for the first time that she'd ever heard no, being a high-ranking official wife who got everything she wanted. She was not accustomed to being told no. And when Joseph refused her, she was incredibly ticked off. And so she had him arrested for attempted rape. That's not fair. And so he was not asking any questions. He was just immediately as you would do a slave. He was arrested and he was thrown into prison to rot. The prince... While he was in this prison, he meets two of the uh, royal staff members who were sharing a cell with him, so to speak. They were guilty of some white-collar crime, uh, you know, of messing around there with some of Pharaoh's uh, stuff, this and that. And they'd end up landed in the same prison there as Joseph. And they, they shared a cell and became, uh, became uh, inmates there together. And, and, and they started having these weird dreams. And they were dreams that they couldn't decipher. And they just couldn't determine what was happening there. And Joseph said, hey, you know what, uh, I've, I've got kind of a gift here that, that I can understand dreams, I can interpret them, so tell me your dream and I'll tell you what, what they mean. And so they began to uh, relate their dreams to them and, and to him, and Joseph interpreted the dreams, and you know what, he got it right. You know, unfortunately for one of them, he said, yeah, you're going to die. That's what the dream means, is they, you know, you're not going to get out of here, they're going to put you to death. And sure enough, it happened. The other guy, he says, you're going to make it. That's what this dream means. You're going to make it. You're going to get out of here. You're going to get sprung. You're going to get released. You're going to get an early release. You're going to get probation. You're going to get out of here. And so now that I've been able to help you, you know how this prison things work. You know I've scratched your back, you scratch mine. And uh, so when you get out, now I have a little fear. I fear that I have been forgotten in here because nobody's mentioned me. And since the day I was put in here, and now he's getting older and older in years, plural. ...are going by. And he's in a cell. He says, so mention me when you get out. And he gets out. But he forgets Joseph. Amen. That ain't fair. Two more years pass. Two years. It's a long time in a cell. And Pharaoh has a dream. He's troubled. He can't sleep. He's asking everybody, What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Now the guy who's been reinstated goes, Ah, yeah, there was a there's a guy. If he's still alive, he's in prison here somewhere, and, and his name was Joseph, and he, he interprets dreams. He's like, he can tell you what that means. I, I'm sure of it. He told me what my dream meant, and, and, and I got out. And, and so, so Pharaoh says, well, go get him, man, and bring him. So they bring him out of that prison, you know, and they, he gives him a shower, and they put new clothes on him, he gives him a shave, and makes him presentable to bring him for the you know the leader of the world at that time. And so they bring him into an audience with with Pharaoh and Pharaoh shares his dream with Joseph and Joseph interprets that dream and the dream that he interpreted was not any old dream it was a dream with some heavy duty consequence as a matter of fact Joseph's wisdom and Joseph's interpretation of that dream totally averted a national disaster that would have wiped them out off the planet it's a big deal and so it was all about a coming famine, the famine that was to come, and so, so Joseph had gotten this wisdom from the Lord how to create this food storage system, how to, how to save it up and, and to store it in such a way that it could be preserved and how to start exacting it from people so they could stockpile and they would have enough food that would come in the, in the great years, in the, in the uh, bountiful years, that, would, that they could apportion out during the years, So that they could survive and thrive and make it through this famine, you know, and that's exactly what they did. And it came to pass just as Joseph said, and Pharaoh was so impressed with this dream. He was so impressed with this strategy that Joseph on the spot was given a position of great power and great authority. I mean, he was literally brought out of prison and put into a cabinet-level position. And there were some great perks that came along with this new government job that he got. One of the perks was he was given a, a signet ring. And it wasn't just any signet ring, it was Pharaoh's signet ring. Which means that it was a free pass into anything he wanted to do in the whole land. There's not a party he can't crash. There's not a club he can't get into. It's like, I'm the king. (laughs) King ring. You can't come in here. King ring. Good to see you. (laughs) Free pass into anything that was going on. Not just a signet ring. They dressed him in the finest clothes available in the land at that time. Tailored, custom fit, best suit. Gold chain necklaces. All the accoutrements, the power, the position, the free pass... The clothes, the necklace, limo service, wherever he wanted to go, he had the king's chariot, Pharaoh's chariot at his disposal. And not only that, uh, they presented him the hand of the daughter of the most favored priest in all of the nation for a wife. Not a bad deal to get an out-of-jail-free card and get a free pass for anything you wanted to do and new threads and new jewelry and limo and marry Billy Graham's daughter. (laughs) Life turned for Joseph just like that. And he thought, this gal will do. Life's pretty good. And he had a son named Manasseh, which means he has made me to forget. Forget what? History. Being thrown in the pit. It's worked out okay. Being falsely accused. Being thrown into prison for a charge that was trumped up. Being forgotten in that same prison for all those years. He's made me to forget. This boy represents the new improved me. The good life. And it's so sweet that I can forget About all the other things that happened to me that got me to this place. And then he has another boy and he names him Ephraim which means he has made me to succeed. And so not only has boy number one taught me that I have survived. Now boy number two I'm naming I'm going to thrive. So it's only going to get better from here. And so they entered into this time that that Pharaoh had dreamed about and Joseph had interpreted rightly. And they started saving up all this grain in time of abundance so that they had way more than they needed in time of plenty when the famine come. Enough so to the point that the Bible specifically tells us that the whole known world came to Joseph for food. The whole known world included a man named Jacob, who had a bunch of sons, who had now grown older, being eaten alive with guilty consciences. Because Joseph was gone, but not forgotten. They were consumed with guilt. And they never had the nerve and they never had the guts to tell the truth about what had happened. Jacob had learned to go on, but you never get over the loss of a son. And we've lost a goddaughter and you never get over that. You just kind of get by. So Jacob sends his sons, and they walk in like all the other thousands of pilgrims who have come there to try to get some relief and try to get some food. And so they find themselves standing before Joseph, and he recognizes them, but they do not have a clue who he is. (laughs) And he goes, What a strange turn of events! I seem to recall a dream that I had that went something like this. These clowns bowing, begging me for stuff. And lo, I was right. And so he conceived a plan. And he accused these guys who were his brothers, but they didn't know that he were brothers. He accused them of espionage. And he held back Simeon for ransom and made them go home and get his youngest brother, who he had not seen in all those years, Benjamin, who had become the apple of Jacob's eye in his place. So the brothers return home. And they give the news to Jacob. Who mourns again. You morons. I've done it again. I dared to put a little bit of trust in you. And and now you're wanting to take my other son. Who became my next favorite. After you let my first one get killed. I refuse to send Benjamin. They said, Dad, you have to. You've got to send him. He said, well, the whole family will die if you don't send him. And and, and so so he finally gives in, and they return with Benjamin to exchange him for food. So all of themselves and their family and their their townspeople, their community, won't die. They get before Joseph, and they have a little breakdown. And long story short, they tell what happened. They speak of their grief, and they say why we can't, and it's in an effort to try to keep Benjamin. Like, you don't understand, mister. Years and years ago, our daddy had a favorite boy. And we were going to kill him but we didn't have the guts and he got sold into slavery and we don't know what happened to him. And now this kid has become his favorite and there's just no way that we can do that to our dad again. And we would rather stay here as slaves and prisoners than to go home and tell our dad what happened. And so they were confessing a sin, they were confessing this, this, this uh, plan, they were confessing this incident that had happened pretty near, as you can follow a timeline, 27 years earlier. And here they are, and Joseph has been waiting on this day a long time. and God moves on his heart. And Joseph stands up in their midst and he goes, "It's me. It's Joseph." Can you imagine. Can you imagine the mixture of emotion, elation and fear at the same time. You know, yes, no, The realization that he's still alive, followed closely by he's going to kill us now for what all that we've done. But instead, he utters one of the greatest statements in all the scripture. He says, you know, uh, it's not about being on or off the hook because... You know, definitely what you guys did, you meant for evil. But God, but God turned it for good. <laughs> he said, go get dad. Matter of fact, go get everybody. Go get the whole family and bring everything back Here And so he brings the whole kitten caboodle, he brings the whole clan, he brings the whole community back there and he provides for them. And he sets them up in business and he moves them into the most affluent subdivision in the town and he gets them all government jobs. Read the story. Happened. It's a providential story, it's a big story, and it takes a while to fully judge a story of that size and of that magnitude. And like Joseph, when we all have, have our stories, which are big stories that span all of our life and so many times, we're so tempted to judge the story before it's time to be judged when the most meaningless statistic that exists in the world is the halftime score. What Joseph had come to understand that the brothers did not understand, what the dad did not understand, what nobody understood, what Joseph had come to understand is what we don't often understand ourselves is that Joseph understood that he had come to know that he had to be sold into slavery so he could get to Egypt and he had to get to Egypt so that he could be bought by Potiphar and he had to be bought by Potiphar so he could be accused of rape and he had to be accused of rape so he could be thrown into prison and he had to be thrown into prison so that he could interpret that dream because he had to interpret that dream so he could get out and meet Pharaoh and interpret that dream so he had to interpret Pharaoh's dream so he could save the nation in a time of distress and we serve a God who is so big and so powerful and so in control that he can use your own sin to save you. See, see here's, here's the good news. No matter where you are in your story, whether you're going through a major key moment in your symphony or a dark minor key movement, regardless, your story ends well. It will turn out for good. You see, the thing is, you just have to let all things work together. Even things you don't understand. Way too quick to judge. But back to the story because the best part's coming. Okay, we've got a few minutes left. So now, Jacob has been so happy. So happy. He's restored. He has his beloved back. All's right with the world. But in the meantime, in all of those years and all of his affluence and influence, Joseph has become an Egyptian. He walks in those circles. He lives in those realms. He operates with that way of thinking. You know, he, he, he talks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian. You know. <laughs> Terrible. But he's become an Egyptian. And so, so Joseph himself begins to have this epiphany. It's like, wait, th- this is not who I am. And so Joseph has this moment of, I need to get back to my roots. I want to get my family back on the right track with the God of Israel. I want to get my family back on the right track. I want to bring restoration and reconciliation everywhere I can. I want my sons to be raised the way that I was supposed to have been raised. I want them to know the God that I know and I want them to be Israelites. I don't want them to be Egyptians. I don't want them identifying with this way of life that I have become accustomed to. And so he takes his sons in for his uh, as as an honor as a highest honor for for his father and their grandfather Jacob because he is now dying and Joseph says hey I've got one more thing to do and so after all of this big huge story he takes those boys in. At the end of this big story, he takes those boys in and Joseph takes them both. Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, for he's the younger. And and Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim. Remember? And he stretched out his left hand, crossing his hands, and he laid his left hand on the head of the firstborn. And Joseph steps in. and says, "Ah, uh, huh, no, you don't see so well anymore. Uh, but we don't need to go down this road again. This is a chance to get everything right, and so no more mistakes, no more mess ups. Your 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 hands is cro- are, are, are crossed, and and you've got you know the wrong hand on the wrong head. There, you're fixing to give the wrong blessing to the wrong person." And Jacob says, Get back. I know what I'm doing. There's nothing in this story that's fair. So, what does this story have to do with us? Just everything. Just everything. You see, the Bible is, is, is full of little stories that help us understand the big story. And the overarching story of the whole Bible is the story of Jesus. The whole, The big story, the big news out of the whole Bible is the gospel. Let me try to land this plane. Let me just read you, if you will, if uh, a a description of Jesus. Just listen to this. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the first born of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and all things were created for him and he is before all things and he is in all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead that in everything He might be preeminent. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn of the dead. And yet this firstborn who was the jewel of the crown, who was the apple of his father's eye, who was the prince of peace, who was his joy and his delight and his everything. He came to his own and his own rejected him and they envied him and they sought to kill him because of his specialness and they took him out on Calvary's cross as we celebrated last week and they stretched Him out on that cross and they drove spikes in His hands and they drove spikes in His feet and they put a bloody, muddy robe on Him and proclaimed Him King of the Jews and then they stripped that robe off and they sold it. And yet, like Joseph, they had no idea That this bloody, muddy, torn robe was the greatest symbol of mercy that the world would ever know. See, here's the gospel, y'all. Catch this, catch this, look at me, catch this. Jesus was hung on the cross. Beaten, broken, appearance marred more than any man, the scripture says. And God's in his heaven, and he looks down and he sees his jewel, his son, his firstborn, his beloved the blessed one, the anointed, the Messiah, the chosen one. And he looks at him hanging on that cross. And then he looks, and there's us who put him there. Catch this. Then God does this. Watch. God goes And God took his hand for the first time in eternity off his son. And he put it on us. So that we got what he deserved, and he took what we deserved. He bore our sin. He absorbed God's wrath. And Now before you're tempted to say that ain't fair. I understand you want to say that, but you have to understand For the first time in the history of the world, we had a firstborn who was willing to give up his blessing. I'll do it. I'll do it. no way to respond to that here's how we respond to it um, so many of us are trying to live a life uh, as if god's right hand is not on it and it is a lot of us are living trying to live lives that that might deserve him putting our hand his hand on our life and can't be done a lot of us are living lives trying to live in such a way as to maintain his hand on our life you can't be good enough long enough have a good friend named jay i'll close with this story i have a good friend named jay and he lives over in north carolina He and his wife are wonderful people. They love Jesus. Jay's a uh, pretty well-known attorney in that part of the country, and he's done quite well for himself. Um, And God moved on their heart some years ago to adopt two kids from Eastern Europe. So he went through all of the, you know, hassle. That you go through in order to do that, and all the money, and the trips, and the forms, and the heartbreak, and all that stuff that they went through. Uh, Long story short, the day came when they got the phone call. It's official, they have your name, the papers are signed. Come get your kids. So they jump on a plane as fast as they could, and they fly across the ocean, they land in Eastern Europe, and they go to the orphanage, and they go in and and they they pick up their children with their name, and they take them home. True story. So, for the first time, a lot of firsts that day, those kids go to the airport for the first time. They get on a plane for the first time. They go off the ground for the first time. They're allowed to fly out over the ocean for the first time in their lives. They're seeing these things. They land in the United States, which is just overwhelming to them. And they go out and they get into the nicest vehicle that they've ever seen in their lives. And they drive through these neighborhoods like they could not even dreamed were possible and they pull up in front of a house that's nicer than the house that the president of their country lives in and daddy jay turns around and says welcome home inside you'll find that you don't have to worry about beds because you both have your own you have your own room it's been decorated in your favorite colors as we've gotten to know you uh, the The closets there are full of clothes and the colors that you like and they 're themed in the things that you like and, and 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 there's a kitchen there. The kitchen is full of food and eat all that you want and i'll always see to it that there's more there and just enjoy this house because it's your house and you are our children and and go, go enjoy this place that we've prepared for you to live with us because you are our joy. And he said for months, he said, Kenny, he said, you know, for months after that, we would go in to check on them in the middle of the night because these kids were professional orphans. Had never known parents. So we'd go in to check on them in the middle of the night and we'd find them sleeping in the closet floor. We'd uh, go in to lay their clothes out for the next day of what to wear and, and down in the, in the drawers we would find food hidden underneath the clothes. Why? Because they were professional. They just knew this was too good to be This won't last. Don't get used to sleeping in that bed. Don't get used to eating all that food because it will be, it'll go away. You know it will. Always does. Now, how many of you know that the secret to learning how to successfully live in that house as a way to enjoy it was not learning the rules of the house? No, the secret to learning how to successfully live in that house and enjoy it is getting to know Jay. That he's good for his promise. All of our orphan living, y'all, is rooted in the fact that we misunderstand and or are ignorant of Who God really is and what he's really like. And I'm here to tell you tonight (laughs) that there's nothing he wants more than you to learn how to enjoy living in the house that he bought for you to live in. You didn't earn it, that's not the wrong question. Well, I don't deserve wrong question. There's no altar in this house, there's only a table. Only a table. Only a table. I just can't make myself get up and go to that. I'm so, that's okay. He come and get you and slide your legs under the table. But he won't leave you in your room. You're going to eat there. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your. Truth, Thank you for your power. Thank you for your love, Lord. We can't even come close to comprehending, Lord, the depth and the breadth of such a huge story. But we know, Lord, that that what others have meant for evil in our life has never been out of your control, that you're using all of that, Lord, to, to form us and make us and save us and, and provide for us, Lord, in ways that we can't even see yet. But we thank you, Lord, that we can trust you and we can trust the message of the gospel that says our story ends well. And we thank you for it, Lord. I just speak blessing over this family, over this people. Lord, I speak the blessing, Lord, of enlightenment of the gospel, That is the sound of the gospel is made in this place that it will reverberate in every heart, in every soul, in every spirit, in every mind. It would reverberate, Lord, and it would make such an indelible mark in our hearts that we would never again settle for anything less than the good news of the gospel to feed our soul. And feed our spirit and draw us to you. So I thank you for them, Lord, and speak blessing over them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Stand that, will you? Thank you, Jenny. I so appreciate it. And again, just so clean, so clear. And uh, we want to learn to get to know our Father. And the way that that happens...